Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Thought I'd actually let the music run out on its own today for the first time ever. What's happening, everybody? Happy Tuesday to you all and to those watching or listening after the fact. I am Dan Bespris, and this is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation, sportsethos.com, the website, Ethos Fantasy BK, the Twitter feed. You can find me over on social media at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. That is how you spell Dan Vespers. Please take a moment to like and subscribe, rate and review, all that stuff. You guys know the drill at this point. Every little bit goes a very long way in helping a smaller account like ours, certainly on the YouTube side at least, grow just a little bit quicker. Today is Sleeper's Day. I suppose that it requires just a tiny preface here at the front end, and that preface is answering the question of why I'm doing it a week before the season starts instead of in August. And we addressed a little bit of this last month or even two months ago, but I actually thought it didn't do my listeners any good to hear a sleeper's board in August, particularly for people that are drafting in now, in mid-October. Because the board is going to change three, four, five times, and I frankly don't want somebody stumbling onto an old episode of this show and saying, oh, Dan told me to draft so-and-so, even after that guy moves 25 slots on the Yahoo board, and he's no longer either what you'd call asleep, like a sleeper, or a value play anymore. Because the guys we're looking for, we're hunting two-plus rounds of value on them, and so if they move by two rounds on the draft board, they're no longer a target. So I held off on doing this type of show until, yeah, frankly, it's a little bit the very last minute. But that's the that's why we do it the way we do. And if you guys have issues with that, you can let me know and I can rethink it a little bit. Maybe we can do updates in previ- in future years. But I also, it feels like, you know, that I'm doing like six sleeper shows every draft season. And that feels a little bit silly. Anyway... Uh, let's dive into this thing. I um, These are players that are beyond 60, by the way. That's like one of the little pieces to this puzzle. I don't think there are any sleepers inside the fifth round. There will be guys on the Dan Bespris old man squad that are inside the fifth round, which you'd kind of call falling a little bit. But they're not folks that have the wiggle room, frankly, to get a couple rounds of value play. Like someone you take at 44... How high can they even really go? So they're not a sleeper at that point. They're just sort of falling. We'll deal with those when we go through the old man squad. That will likely be at the end of this week or the beginning of next as we kind of wrap all of the stuff we've talked about together into one giant bucket. First name on the list today is Jalen Williams, who uh, perhaps I haven't talked about him enough on this podcast, but we'll get into it a little bit today. Jalen Williams on the Thunder. This both Jalen Williamses are on the Thunder. There's a lot of Jalens and there are a lot of Williamses in the NBA. Just make sure you're putting the correct first and last name uh, iterations together here. Jalen finished last year as the number uh, 74 ranked play in 9-cat. But, and his draft slot of 61 tells the uh, different story, that wasn't who he was during specifically the second half of the season. 
Because over the final 40 games last year, Jalen Williams was a second-round value. He scored 16.5 points over that stretch, a little over a three-pointer, nothing special really in those two. 5.2 rebounds, also relatively average. 3.8 assists, a little bit better than average. Hyper-elite steals at 1.8, half a block, 53% from the field, 85% at the free-throw line. And I know what you're thinking, Dan, how do those stats translate to someone who sits inside the top 25? The answer is, and we've talked about this before, if you are average or slightly above average in every statistical category, that already gets you to about top 60. So anything beyond that pushes you up the board. And for Williams, over that stretch, he had one of the highest steals numbers in the entire NBA. I think he was like fourth or fifth, uh, fourth among anybody who played more than about three or four games behind Freddie Van Vliet, Marcus Smart, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and then Jalen Williams. That was the list for everybody the second half of last year. Those other guys didn't have what he had in other categories, other than Freddie Van Vliet, who, by the way, was number 12 the second half last year. We're not talking about him. Can Jalen Williams keep up the 53% from the field? That should probably be the one thing that kind of hangs over us here in this, can he repeat this, that, you know, top 25 run? And the answer there is, I don't really know. Is he a 53% shooter from the field? It's possible. A lot of his looks are around the bucket. He didn't take that many three-pointers to weigh the average down. And frankly, I don't care if he takes a bunch of three-pointers. I don't. That's not what you're hunting for there. Once he got his legs underneath him in that team's offense, and I'm not worried about what Chet Holmgren might do, he became a rock-solid, high-level fantasy contributor. And so in this instance then... Does he need to get to 25 to be, to hit, like, sleeper status? No. Because if you're getting him at 60, anything 40 above is a massive win. And I feel pretty strongly that he can get there. Next name on the list is Cam Johnson, who I think is getting almost no buzz this fantasy season. And I'm okay with that. Because last year, Cam Johnson spent the vast majority of the year hurt. Or exactly half, I guess I should say. Overall, he was number 55 in nine category leagues, and super low turnovers do play a role in that. So I get it if he's less uh, exciting on the eight cat side. But for nine category leagues, he's a gem. Over the entire season, he averaged 15 and a half points, two and a half three pointers, 4.4 boards, two assists. One and a half combined defensive stats, mostly in the steals department, and a 47 84 split. Uh, field and free throw numbers. He was, as many of you recall, traded, (laughs) sort of a high-profile deal, at the deadline last year. After moving over to Brooklyn, everything basically increased for him. But the interesting note on Cam is that his rank over that stretch didn't change all that much. And some of that just has to do with players that were sort of bouncing in and out. Who did what? Here's the thing. He scored 14 points per game for Phoenix, 16.5 for Brooklyn. He added six extra minutes per game, although some of that was the meniscus situation in Phoenix that kept it low. Two extra shots per night. Field goal percent stayed almost exactly the same. Three-pointers actually came down a tiny bit, and field goal percent stayed almost exactly the same. He's a very good three-point shooter. 
He's a very good free throw shooter, so if he gets to the line, that's another avenue to potentially improve on it. His steals numbers are actually pretty good. He's just never gotten full starters minutes until now. If Cam Johnson stays healthy, he profiles really nicely, particularly on the Roto side, as a top 50 guy or inside. Because he can get you three-pointers, scoring, steals, and do it on good percentages, that's a big deal to have a guy that gets you a bunch of threes that doesn't weigh your percentages down. So it's, an, it's actually kind of easy for a guy like that to climb the board because you're getting nice numbers in a handful of categories, but there aren't really any weak points for him. Because once he started to play 30-plus minutes per game, the rebounds came up to five, where they were never getting close to at 26, 20-whatever in Phoenix. Next name on the board, and we have a lot of them, so I want to keep moving pretty fast, is Tyus Jones. And you guys actually heard me talk about him on my, you know, Dan drafts his favorite team episode, whatever that was, week, week and a half ago. There are fears with Tyus about possible shutdown because Washington is not going to be very good this year. Make sure your season ends three weeks early, or if you're in a Roto League, you know, you get what you get before the plug gets pulled. So if it's 65 games, don't be completely blown away. There's a fear, I think, baked in around Tyus Jones that Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole are going to take every ounce of usage on that team. And I simply don't think that's going to be the case. Because those guys are going to want somebody to get them the ball in the right spot. And Tyus Jones is definitively that guy. He probably won't put up the eye-poppingly ridiculous top 30 type numbers he put up when John Morant was out in Memphis. Because he sat between 30 and 50 for most of those games when Ja is on the shelf. Because in Memphis... Once Jaw was down, Desmond Bain was kind of the only usage guy left on that club, and so Tyus slid in and took that second seat. In Washington, he's going to be the third guy. In Memphis, he was way down. He wasn't anywhere near that. So there isn't really a perfect precedent for what we can expect from Tyus Jones this season because there wasn't really a time where it was like, oh, Tyus Jones is playing with two other usage guys the way he is this year. So top 30, no, probably not. But I do think that there's a pretty good path for him to get into that 45 to 60 range, which, again, getting drafted right now, his ADP and his pre-ranker are around 75-ish. That's still close to two full rounds of value. Expect okay scoring, not great. I would expect positive, probably a pretty good positive in assists and steals. I think percentages should be decent, not spectacular for him. Um, but, again, I don't expect him to take a ton of shots, so maybe... We can go 45-ish percent from the field, 80-some-odd from the free-throw line. Not a bad three-point shooter. He just doesn't take that many of them. But again, I expect good steals numbers, very good assist numbers, uh, and not going to hurt you in too many places. Relatively low turnover guy from that point guard spot. Again, pretty easy for a guy like that to rack up fantasy value. That's why I like him at 75. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, 
You can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Fourth name on the list is Jakob Pertl, who, uh, and again, this is very much a like, what did they do down the stretch kind of play? Well, Pertl, after getting sort of, you want to call it unleashed in Toronto, was a behemoth. Post-trade deadline, uh, he was hanging right around the top 45 range on about 13-9 and nine with two and a half defensive stats. That's a big number. Good free field goal percent, crummy free throw. That's always the knock uh, on Pirtle. Down the stretch, his minutes actually kind of bounced around a little bit because Toronto, I don't think they were fully sure how they wanted to deploy him. Uh, but basically, when he got minutes, if he wasn't shooting 40% at the free throw line, the numbers were good. I have a little bit of fear on this one. This was this is one of the names that I almost took off the list. So if you're going by like who do I love and who do I kind of like so far, three first names I like a lot a lot. Pirtle is one that I like a little because at the beginning of draft season he was going in the 90s and I thought he was a terrific sleeper there. In the 70s I think it's the values didn't been diminished and I don't know that we're going to get two full rounds of jump on him here. I do think that there's a little bit of wiggle room. Things need to break right for him. Toronto's going to need to decide that he gets 29 minutes or more per night, which might not be the case every evening if they want to space the floor. They go Siakam at the five. There will be games where Pirtle plays 24, 25 minutes, and those are going to be games where he's more like top 90, top 120 range. How does this even out? I still think he's going to be a slight positive. I want you guys to make sure you're not just looking at the names on the board and you're actually listening to the words I'm saying right now. I don't think he's the best name on this board. I think he's a good one who just barely made my cut, but I don't think he's one of the massive, massive leapers. Still, I like him there, so I'm okay with it. Quick reminder after the first four names to drop a follow over on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Uh, we're going to be doing a whole lot of stuff there throughout the season. I'm going to need you guys paying attention on Twitter because news breaks fast and furious. And so if you guys are getting it, just as fast and just as furious, you'll have an advantage. You'll have a big leg up in your fantasy league. Hanging out with me over on social is the way to do it. Uh, listening to this pod every day is going to be a part of it, but there are things that happen in between that I want you guys to be a part of as well. Also, please like, rate, and subscribe as we once again dive into the names on the board. Fourth name on the board today, Clay Thompson. And this one feels a little bit like a, like I'm cheating, <laughs> but I'm throwing it out there anyway. Because Clay's pre-rank, which is 95, doesn't come anywhere near his actual, or his, his ADP, his average draft slot, which is in the late 70s. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there. He's not going to fall to 95. If you want Clay, you're probably going to have to take him, I would think, more towards the beginning of that eighth round. So uh, maybe more in the early 80s or possibly even a tiny bit before that. He's a ranking that just 
Like every once in a while, there's one player where Yahoo's pre-rank makes no sense at all. And Clay Thompson is that guy because he, on bad wheels last year, still played 33 minutes a night, still got into 69 of their team's 82 ball games, which is remarkable considering what the injuries he's coming off of, and still managed to put up top 65 per game numbers overall on the year and inside the top 50 in the second half. There's almost no reason. I mean, you could you could grasp at some stuff and point to things that could go wrong, but there's really almost no reason that he shouldn't be inside the top 60 on a per-game basis. The makeup of the Warriors changed with Chris Paul, but he's going to be a guy that just gets it to Clay because Chris isn't going to want to be shooting all that much. So for Thompson, not much changes. And there is a universe where his legs continue to get better. You know, last year he was coming off of two missed seasons in a row, basically. Uh, And he still managed to slowly increase his field goal percent from, you know, 41, 42 at the beginning of the year. Second half of the year he was at 45. Last two months he was at 46. He just was slowly climbing and getting those legs underneath him. So, you know, 22 points, four boards, two assists, and four three-pointers is pretty repeatable for him. So I don't really know what the hell he's uh, doing here at 95. He's not getting drafted there. But in terms of, like, the duh call of the century, there you go. Mitchell Robinson's the next name on the list. He's another one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, um, but makes a little bit more sense than Clay Thompson, if only because Mitchell Robinson get, derives his value from rebounds, defensive stats, and field goal percent, and a lot of people don't pay attention to at least two to three of those categories. Um, he also derives value from low turnovers. So of the four very good categories for Mitch Rob, rebounds, steals, blocks, field goal percent, and I guess five makes turnovers. And you're going to say, no, Dan, his steals aren't that great, but one steal a game from a center is pretty good. So fine, wipe that out. Call it nine and some odd rebounds, two blocks a game, 67% from the field, almost no turnovers. A lot of people ignore the turnovers and the field goal percent. So the reason he falls in drafts is because people are like, he's a two-trick pony. If I'm punting, if I'm an eight-cat, he's a, and or not caring about field goal percent. He's a two-trick pony if I'm in a points league, so he falls in that direction as well. But in nine-cat, he's a stud. He was hurt, and he has been hurt throughout his career, so that's the thing hanging over Mitchell. But he was number 53 on a per-game basis last year on the shoulders of those four very good categories. And the thing about Mitchell that makes him interesting to me is that everybody's talking about Mark Williams and everybody's talking about Daniel Gafford, who, by the way, is coming up on this list a little bit later. So I, I get it. But, and everybody's talking about Jalen Duran, who I also like. But Mitchell Robinson, you can get cheaper. Well, everybody's climbing over each other, other for all the other names, and there are actually, I think, two more that are going to be on our list today. Nobody's talking about Mitchell Robinson, and on a per-game basis, he beat this draft number by 40 slots last year. And nothing really changed. We got to go to the next page here. John Collins is the next one, and this is really more of a of a of the home run swing sleeper because I think the odds of him panning out are lower. The six guys I put on that first page, I think the odds of them having good season are almost 100%, almost a lot. And then the odds of having a great season 
that's what really could move the needle. With John Collins, there are now, you're starting to creep into, and frankly, more of the names on the list here in this sort of second portion of the show, more of these guys are going to be guys that can fail. John Collins could fail this year. To say otherwise would be disingenuous. But at the same time, John Collins can succeed. And what he has is, number one, going outside the top 100. Number two, he's actually been a first-round player for a half of a basketball season before. That was the COVID year. It's not that long ago. Number three, it's not like he's old. Number four, change of scenery. And number five, a lot of people still really don't believe in it. So that's keeping his draft slot lower. Worst case scenario, you drop him. I get it. Nobody wants to drop their ninth round pick, but it happens. Best case scenario is he steps into a fun environment in Utah. Someone's going to have to get the ball to these guys. I don't know exactly who that's going to be, but they just run. They gun. They play wild and wooly in Utah. He's going to be in there getting some minutes, and I think he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder, and that really does matter. As much as we like to write off some of that stuff, sometimes it matters. And I think with Collins, he's a guy who's been slighted for about two and a half straight seasons. Atlanta's been trying to trade him forever. Finally did. He's ready to go prove some people wrong. And guys with a chip on their shoulder tend to get off to pretty good starts in the year. Can he sustain it the entire season? I don't know. But I think that's a worthwhile risk to take at 100. So I'm willing to take the plunge there. Next name is Daniel Gafford. These guys are all lined up right after each other, so you're not going to be able to get all of them. I believe that Daniel Gafford will get center eligibility. I don't know how long it's going to take. It's super weird that he doesn't have it yet. One thing we also know about him is that in the past, we've been able to extrapolate his numbers from a 20-minute-per-game guy where he was sitting in the 130-140 range in 9-cat to a starter's number. So add another 8 minutes. Effectively, you're adding about another 40% to what he was doing before. And he becomes a really nice value. I think Gafford going at 102 has got a pretty damn good shot to get inside the top 75 on a per-game basis. I don't know about getting too far beyond that because there will be days where the Wizards just space it out. He has foul trouble. He has nagging injuries, blah, blah, blah. But look, as much as we want to try to ding him for nagging injuries, Gafford played in 78 out of their 82 ball games last year. That number probably comes down as his minutes go up, but... A little bit of that he's always hurt thing is a narrative that isn't entirely true. So at 102, Gafford is another. He's a little bit more of a higher floor guy as opposed to Collins where the floor could really completely fall out. But the upside with Collins is just bigger because he can do more things. Gafford is, frankly, a lot like Mitchell Robinson where you're going to focus on a few key categories. Uh, and he has a decent shot to get you those categories. Simple explanation. Zach Collins, two slots later, is a little bit more interesting just in terms of, you know, he's a big man that does non-traditional big man things. He's not going to have the leeway he had at the end of last year. I know we could all point to the last 10 games where he averaged like 19 points and 8 rebounds and 4 assists and a steal and 1.5 blocks and all that good stuff. He ain't getting anywhere near that number. Not with the Spurs actually playing their guys. But they do want him to be the big body. They don't want that to be Victor Wembanyaman yet. He's uh, Wemby's set to play more power forward to start the year. I'm sure that they'll he'll get in there and get some center minutes, but they just don't want him taking that pounding. And you've seen in the Spurs 
preseason games that Collins, this is his job and he knows it. He's going to go body some people, which is great. The Spurs are going to need that. It provides San Antonio an extra layer of defense as well, because Wambanyama being 19 feet tall, he can move out towards the perimeter a little bit better. Collins, if he has to go guard the perimeter, Wembenyama becomes sort of the other back line of defense. So that does give them a lot of flexibility. I think you see Collins play between 25 and 30 minutes a night. His usage won't, again, be anywhere near what you saw at the end of last season. But there is this sort of interesting upside as probably the team's best rebounder. He can space the floor. He can move the basketball. He's a pretty good passing big man. He just does a little bit of everything, and he can do it on good percentages. You gotta love big men that don't hurt you in any specific category, and so taking a shot on him makes a crap load of sense, where, again, even if the minutes dwindle or maybe they're not there the way we want, the upside is really nice. And he's getting a lot of buzz, too, so unfortunately, uh, he's one of those guys that's moving up the board. His ADP says 113, but he's not going at 113. He's going around 95 to 100 in a lot of drafts these days, and just be ready for it. But here's the thing. Brief pause here to once again say thank you all for listening and to like, rate, and subscribe, but also to say you're not going to get all of these guys because a lot of them are ranked pretty close to one another. But this is a list so that you can get ready for this eighth, ninth round and have a few options that are hopefully on the board for you. Uh, I hope that one is on the board for you when it gets there. Onyeko Kong was the next one at 106. This one's not as uh, thrilling, I guess, but he was number 75 last year in a full season of work. Doesn't seem like a whole lot is changing in Atlanta, but if you can get a guy at 105 who finishes near 75, that's just a win. I don't know that he gets more job. I don't think Clint Capella's going anywhere this year. You can hope that perhaps Capella misses an extra minute or two uh, on the season, maybe it's more of like a 25-23 split all season long, and then when Capella sits, then Okongo gets up to 29 for a few weeks, and that pulls the average up closer to 24 instead of this last year where it was more like 23. Incremental, small things, that's all enough for me to take the shot on it, so I'm good with him at 106, and let's keep moving to our last name, on today's board, and that is DeAnthony Melton, who you've heard me talk about plenty of times on this pod. It would seem almost silly if I didn't include him once more. I feel like I'm repeating myself. But Melton was number 78 last year in 28 minutes per game. Uh, some of that was without Harden. Some of that was without Maxi. Some of that was without both of those guys. I don't think Harden's going to be there. He doesn't. He says he's not playing. There will be a path for Melton to get back into the 70s. Don't expect much beyond that. If Maxi misses any time at all, that's where he can collect a little bit of extra stuff. Um, he's not, like, hyper exciting as a name here at the end, but once you've passed through some of these guys where you're like, ooh, maybe I can get somebody that'll climb into the 60s, Melton's a guy, 70s, 80s, whatever, uh, that does make a lot of sense. And uh, I think that's where we're going to leave it today um, in terms of the... Uh, the sleepers board. I'll have a show and I want to try to let everybody know what's coming up next. I will have a show coming up where we get into what I call the late flyers or deep sleepers, not here on today's show. We will also have a Dan Bespris old man squad list where all of these guys are going to be listed and we'll go through them rapid fire because they're going to be 
I think last year we had like 40-something names on that deal, and I want to try to get it all into one show, if at all possible. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the... I guess you could call it like my favorites. We haven't done that show yet. I did the my favorite draft show where we picked one player from each round. That was a fun idea that I think I stole from Josh. Uh, but I haven't done just the favorite players on the board for whatever reason. Giant value or going to be super fun. So we've got a favorites show coming up. We've got the old man squad show coming up. We've got the deep sleepers show that we'll try to get in here before the season starts. And we're going to be talking to some analysts from that nine cat mock we did um a week and a half ago as well. Uh, so a lot left here on the table. Try to get a couple of mocks going as well. Uh, depends on how much we can get done over the next week. I also will have some real drafts, and I might pop on to analyze the results of some of those too. I know, a lot going on. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in on our Sleeper Show. Uh, I hope that this one is uh, a fun one for everybody. Again, I am at Dan Bespris over on Twitter. I insist... That you guys find me over there, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Check out sportsethos.com and the Fantasy Pass, complete with the Brewski 150 projection engine and a live draft tracker tool. That is, by the way, worth the price of admission alone. You can use that during your drafts to see how your team is doing, how other teams are doing, if you're quick enough to throw players on the other teams, and how you stack up, whether that's roto head-to-head. You can try to figure out if you're like pretty good at everything, if you're leaning in really hard on six things. Those draft tracker tools are incredible, and it's rolled in with the Fantasy Pass, which is, again, just 6 bucks a month over at sportsethos.com. I would encourage you guys all to check that out as well. More shows coming up later today here on the Sports Ethos YouTube page and the Fantasy NBA Today feed. Representing a hoop ball with my T-shirt today, but representing Sports Ethos. That's my ethos going forward. Thank you again to Manscaped. Promo code there is ethos20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. Tell you a little bit more about them on our next program. But again, that's manscaped.com. Ethos20 for 20% off and free shipping. See you later. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.